Hey, I'm Dan. Let's pray. Our Father, it is so good to hear you speak to us. It's so good to hear these words of Jesus. It's so good to hear the words of eternal life as we gather together now. Uh, we pray now that you would speak to us, that you would help me to speak clearly and, and truthfully, and that the words of Jesus would do their work. We pray that you would be drawing people to yourself. You'd be opening our eyes to the glory and wonder of our Saviour, the bread of God, who came from heaven to give life to the world. Please be working in us now, we pray. Amen. Um, well, I wonder if you can finish this sentence for me. Whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Very good. Stronger is the right answer. It's the idea that, um, that coming up against hard things in life will often bring about great good for you that, uh, that um, going through adversity challenge can bring strength and wisdom, strength in character, that you face something hard, you come through it, and now I'm all the stronger because of it. Now, some things will kill you. Getting hit by a truck won't make you stronger. Uh, that's not going to work. But, you know, um, it's your immune system. Uh, so how do you get kids to be strong, healthy? Well, you don't sanitize everything they're going to touch, you send them out into the playground and you tell them to lick the swing. <laughs> At least that's what I'm doing with my kids. I hope that's the right way to do it. Or it's, uh, it's receiving critique at work. You know, I reckon most of the things that I'm half decent at in life generally, I'm only half decent at them because at one time I did it terribly and I messed up and then someone said, hey Dan, that's not actually how you do it. You've got to do it like this. So, you know, your boss comes to you and he says... Uh, you're doing that wrong. Now, that's a, a confronting, a challenging thing to hear from your boss, but now that he said that and you kind of, they don't fire you, well, you're okay, you're stronger, you come out as a better worker. It's, it's what doesn't kill you that makes you stronger. The path to growth is through adversity and challenge. But over the last 10 years or so, there's actually been a shift kind of in the way people have thought about this type of thing, particularly in university settings, which I know lots of you are in. Uh, and so now, for many, the saying goes like this, whatever doesn't kill you makes you weaker. Makes you weaker. And the thinking goes that if you're confronted by something, you're challenged by something, like a different viewpoint than the one you hold, then hearing that viewpoint isn't going to do you any good, it's actually going to harm you, it's going to damage you, it's going to offend you and then make you emotionally fragile. And so the thing that whatever doesn't kill you will now, whatever doesn't kill you actually makes you weak. And so if someone does offend you with their words, then that person is being violent towards you sometimes people say. And instead of facing the challenge, uh, what we should do is we shouldn't now face challenge, we should either silence the person who's going to bring a challenge or we need to be shielded and kept safe. Uh, this particularly became a big thing on uni campuses in the US about seven or eight years ago and it's still a massive thing there at the moment. And so uni students started protesting from having certain speakers come onto campus. We can't have that person come and talk because they're going to say offensive things and that's going to harm us. 
it's going to make us fragile. And so they started using words like, um, or phrases like, words are violence. Have you heard that? They started lobbying for safe spaces. Have you heard of safe spaces? It's the idea that we're in a public place, but we've agreed that within this sphere, because everyone thinks like this, no one's going to disagree with you. No one's going to say anything that might possibly offend you. Because to do so would be offensive, and to offend would be to hurt, to harm. Now, it is definitely possible to engage with people and just be an absolute jerk, and not be uh, you know, sensitive to what people are thinking and all that type of stuff, be um, empathetic. Um, but is it right that we should be shielded from hearing any kind of challenge? from hearing anything that we might find offensive. This, this is relative to John 6. I'm going to get there in a second, trust me. Um, now, uh, but I, I'm no psychologist, right? Um, but it's been well known for a very long time that the way to grow is through adversity and challenge. The way to grow in any kind of strength, physical, emotional, intellectual, it's not to be shielded and kept back and held safe. It's, it's to go out and and the thing not to do is to keep us in safe spaces, sheltered and, and free from any kind of challenge. Well, in the Bible tonight, tonight's passage is an account of Jesus engaging with this crowd of people in a synagogue, a, kind of like an ancient Jewish church building type thing. And Jesus is engaging with a crowd who needed to be challenged. They needed to be challenged even if it meant offending them. Verse uh, chapter 6, verse 59, pick it up. He's in the synagogue there and he lays out this really hard teaching and it goes for a long time. It's verse 25 all the way to 71. He lays out this teaching and then verse 60, pick it up there. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching, who can accept it? Or literally, who can hear it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Well, then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where He was before? Now, uh, the thing to notice there is, Jesus sees that He's upset this crowd, and what does He do? He doesn't pull back, He doubles down. He pushes harder. He says, do you think that's offensive? Well, what if you see the Son of Man? And He goes even harder. And that right there is like a little microcosm of the whole shape of his entire interaction with them. The whole thing, right from the start, there's this interaction where uh, the crowd of people, Jesus knows this crowd, and he knows that their hearts are not in the right place. And so what Jesus does is he challenges them, and he pushes them. And they react, they grumble, and so Jesus pushes harder. And what he actually does is he says the same thing again and again, but harder with sharper language, with more vivid language. And they grumble and they're offended. But at every point, Jesus doesn't back down, He doubles down, saying the same thing again, using some of the most vivid words in, his, in all of His ministry. Have a look at verse 53, kind of the, the high point of offence. Jesus said to them, "'Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Now, I hope you're not offended by cannibalism. 
Jesus uses this confronting metaphor and they react and he doubles down. But he does it not because he's obnoxious and uncompassionate. He does it because whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And this crowd comes to him and he sees where they're at, he sees where their hearts and their minds are at and he says, you need to be here. And so he pushes and he pushes and they grumble and he pushes. And the result is that this this crowd of who were once disciples of Jesus, followers of Him, are divided. Some are offended by Him and they turn away and the others are drawn to Him. They're drawn in. Have a look at verse 66, the end of their interaction. Verse 66, from this time on, many of His disciples turned back and no longer followed Him. You do not want to leave me too, do you? Jesus asks the twelve. And Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Now, those same two options are before us tonight. To either, to hear these words of Jesus and to either be offended by Him and to turn away or to hear these same words and be drawn in, to be drawn to Jesus. That's what's before us tonight. So let's work our way through this passage here, this interaction between Jesus and a bunch of His disciples. The context to this is that Jesus just performed two miracles. The start of chapter 6, He's he's fed 5,000 men with just five little bits of bread and two fish. He's then, later that night, uh, walked on water. And this same mob who He's just fed, they've They've seen him do this, they've seen him go off and so they've, they've picked up and they've followed him on foot all the way around the lake and come to Capernaum. And so they've come looking for him and pick it up now in verse 25. And notice how Jesus just, bang, straight away, straight away goes into challenge mode. Verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, You are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. The only reason you're following me is because you're hungry and I've got bread. It's not because they saw the sign. It's not because they saw him perform this God-like miracle. It's because they saw bread and they thought, yum, yum, I like bread, let's go and get some more of that. Their focus is completely on the wrong thing. Their focus on the miracle, the bread, when their focus should have been on the miracle worker, the man. And so Jesus just straight away, He challenges their focus. Verse 27, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on Him God the Father has placed His seal of approval. And then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. That was the point of the miracle, to get them to see Jesus for who he is and to put their faith in him, believe in him. And so now that Jesus has clarified what they were meant to do, how they were meant to respond to this miracle, uh, check out what they say next, verse 30. So they ask him, well, what sign are you going to do so that we may see it and believe in you? Can you believe it? 
He feeds 5,000 people. He walks on water. And they say, well, have you got anything? Have you got anything to do so that we might believe in you? What sign will you do so that we might believe, seeing as though you're telling us that we should believe? They want another sign. It's not like the signs weren't enough. It's not like he should have fed 5,005 people and then they would have believed. The signs were, it was, they was all there for them to put two and two together. It's not like they were thinking, that's not very impressive, I've got a bread machine too. The signs were clear, but their heads are just completely in the wrong place. They're focused, all they're focused on is getting more bread. Verse 31, our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it's not Moses who's given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, always give us this bread. We want more bread, please. (laughs) And you seem to have it. (laughs) They're just completely missing the point. Because in verse 32 and verse 33, Jesus, he's, you know, you just can imagine him interacting with this mob. And he, he starts to use this metaphor of bread and he applies it to himself. You know metaphors where you say a thing is another thing? Well, Jesus is doing that with bread. He's talking about himself being bread, but this is the bread, verse 32, verse 33, that comes down from heaven to give life to the world. This is a different kind of bread than the bread that they just ate before. It's like how God kept the, the Israelites physically alive in the wilderness with physical bread, and Jesus just kind of redone that as well with his miracle, and now he's saying, there's a bread that comes from heaven that gives life to the world, and they're going, yeah, yeah, always give us that, that'd be good, I'm hungry. <laughs> And here's where Jesus just keeps doubling down. Verse 35. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread. (laughs) I am the bread. (laughs) I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I am the bread, guys. (laughs) The point of the miracle is not that you would say, hey, can I have another feed of lunch, please? The point was that they would look to Him. Physical bread can meet your physical needs. Jesus says, I'm the bread of God, the true bread, verse 32, that's come from heaven, that if you eat this, you will never go hungry again and you'll never be thirsty again. I'm the bread of life itself. And so if you have me, you have what you need forever, eternally. Now, do you see what incredible news that Jesus had? This is why Jesus doesn't just go, ah, they don't get it and walk away. He pushes because what he brings is the bread of God that can give life to the world. And so he pushes. But what an incredible offer. He comes bringing that which we need for eternity, himself, for all time. He says, you will never go hungry. You will never thirst It's an eternal thing that He brings, and it's an eternal secure thing that He brings. This is not just wishful kind of thinking, it's not just fluff. He says that this is the sovereign will and work of God to secure a people 
for eternity. When I come, I secure you eternally. Have a look. I'm going to read a good chunk here from verse 37. And as I read it, listen to the, the eternal security that Jesus offers. Verse 37. All those the Father gives to me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I shall lose none of all those He has given me, but raise them up on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. When it comes to Jesus, what He gives us, what He offers us, is secure and sure for all eternity. It's solid. Verse 37, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. If you come to Jesus, He won't drive you away. Verse 39, it's His Father's will that Jesus won't lose anyone who comes to Him eternally. So you'll forever be fed, but rather He'll raise them up on the last day. And see how He says that in verse 39 and verse 40. He keeps saying it. He says it three times as well later on. I will raise them up at the last day. I will raise them up at the last day. This is an eternal, secure thing that Jesus brings. If you're with Him, you are secure. And see what security that these people missed out on, which we'll get to at the end. But what an incredible thing. Verse, and at this point of this man having performed these signs and saying these words, see how they respond, verse 41... At this, the Jews there began to grumble about him because he had said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Their response to Jesus is, they grumble. They grumble like the Israelites in the wilderness and they begin to take offence now, I think at that point, we as readers, as we read on of this event that happened 2,000 years, we're meant to say, what is going on for these people? What is going on that they could hear these incredible words, this incredible offer, and their response is to grumble at Jesus? What's going on that they could see those signs? They could literally have partook in the miracle, ate the, the bread that was miraculously brought from Jesus, and grumble. Signs which tied so richly into this rich tapestry of Jewish history and culture and religion and they, they know that God provided for the Israelites' manner in the wilderness. And here comes the, other, the, the Messiah who does the same, recapitulates that sign, does it again and they grumble at Him. What's going on? Well, I want to suggest that uh, it's very straightforward, they've got a problem. And it's a problem in their heads and their hearts. And here's where we might take, start taking offence at Jesus. Because their problem is also our problem. It's the problem of this worldliness. Eyes fixed on the physical, on the here and the now, the physical, the material, and a blindness to spiritual realities, true spiritual realities. Let me show you this. The miracles of Jesus didn't convince them at all. 
The only thing they convinced them of was that he was a guy who could feed us. Verse 26, he says, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs, which would have been okay. Not because you saw the signs, you're looking because you ate the loaves and had your fill. But the signs, the miracles, they were signs, they pointed to something bigger, that this was the one they were to put their trust in. And everything about the sign and about Jesus' words, there was everything there to put two and two together, but they were focused on the food that spoils. They were focused on the physical, the material. They grumble because they can't look past the physical. They can't look past the fact that, yeah, sure, this guy is doing lots of God-like stuff and he's saying that I can have eternal life and that he knows the Father and, and he's doing all these miracles just like God did and the Messiah was said to... But I know who his dad is. He, isn't he from that Joseph guy who's the carpenter in Nazareth? They can't look past the physical, even though Jesus is there speaking the words of eternal life. They're dominated by the things of this world. But we can be just the same, can't we? We live in a culture that's drunk deeply of materialism. The notion that the physical is all there is. That this life is all there is. The things of God, the things of eternity, we can't know that stuff. All that matters is matter. It's the here and now. And so we're to maximise our, our happiness here and now, our lives. We look for satisfaction and fulfilment here and now in the things of this world. We're told that career is the pathway to satisfaction and fulfilment. It's money, it's experiences, it's sex, it's the right clothes, it's things, it's owning a house on the central coast. But these things just never satisfy Oh, lots of those are really good things that our Heavenly Father has given to us and so viewed in the right way, they're good, but they'll never satisfy us. The things of the material, of the here and now, we are more than that. We are body and soul. There is a spiritual reality to life. There is a God who created us, not because He was bored, <laughs> but because He wanted relationship with us. There is truly an eternity to come. And so to spend our lives working for food that spoils, you know, bread. We just got a bread box that you put on the counter. That thing makes our bread go mouldy even quicker. <laughs> to spend your lives on, on food that spoils, it's madness. It's craziness. If you are hungry and thirsty and not satisfied with the things of the world, there's a reason the world can't fill you up. And haven't the events of the last few years and weeks taught us that? Fires, floods, pandemics, Afghanistan, more floods, and now war. There is, and, and underneath all of those things, there is this undergirding current of the ever-present reality that we all live on a timer a timer that's always ticking down toward each of our death. Now, I'm sorry if you don't like talking about this, but that's reality. And sometimes you've got to challenge and poke and confront to move past to where you need to be. Death is our reality, and we've got no solution to it. You know, whenever I, um, whenever I remember that truth, like, that's true, right? But whenever I remember that, it totally ruins movies for me. Because every, every superhero movie, every kind of uh, action movie is 
someone who's saving the day, and usually they save people from dying. And, and the end of the movie, you're excited about that, you're thankful for it and go, yes, you did it. And then I remember that truth and I think, you've just delayed the inevitable. <laughs> That's bleak, right? It's not a good way to be for too long. I get it. Uh, but that's reality. That's, that is actually reality. I know we all laughed just then and thought, oh, I don't think like that. But that is reality. Do you all know it? <laughs> we have no solution to the problem of death. But there is a man from heaven who does, who has come to meet our needs. And this crowd grumbles at him. They take offence. And so he pokes. And he pushes them again. And he doubles down. And he doubles down even harder, showing that there's even more, there's an even deeper problem here. There's worldliness, there's a this-worldliness, yes, but it's even deeper than that. And that's where we go next. And if I can sum it, like, sum it up like this. Not only are we worldly, we are spiritually powerless and lifeless. Have a look at verse 43. Jesus responds to them and they're grumbling. Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus said. I like to think he's exasperated at this point. Stop grumbling among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them and I will raise them up at the last day. Now, that's an interesting response to a grumbling crowd, but what he does is he diagnoses their grumbling according to a spiritual thing that's going on. He says, you can't, no one comes to me, you're grumbling and no one comes to me unless the Father sent me. This is a huge claim about spiritual power. It's the claim that we don't have any, that when it comes to spiritual things, like whether we come to Jesus or not, no one can do that unless God first draws them. Now, are you offended by that? This is the confronting truth that Jesus brings to this crowd, showing that their hardness toward Him is a spiritual thing. It's not only that they really like bread and that's all they can think about, that is going on, but there's even this deeper thing, that they're not coming to Him because they're not able, they're powerless. Such is our state that no one can come to Jesus unless God first works in our hearts. Now, this doesn't undercut our genuine responsibility, our ability to make real choices. We aren't powerless in that sense. In verse 26, 29, Jesus did urge them. He said, um, do the work of God, believe. He urged them to make a real choice. But without God... We will never choose Jesus. We will always choose to walk away. I was in Sydney last week and I took an Uber trip to the airport. And the great thing about Uber trips is um, they're great for evangelism because they tend to be short. So you know that if it goes really badly, you got an out. In like three minutes, I'm out of here. So it's okay. Um, you don't know the person. So there's no, there's no that kind of emotional cost as well. Um, and uh, you kind of need to make small talk if you want to be polite. Um, so you've got to do that if you ever catch an Uber. Uh, but my Uber driver happened to be a Buddhist. 
But what he believed was that there isn't just one way to God, that there are hundreds and thousands of ways to God and that we get to choose, we get to make up our minds. And so he had chosen to go to God by the Buddhist kind of path. He's actually a bit of a strange kind of Buddhist now that I think about it. Um, But I had chosen to go to God through Jesus and he said, that's totally fine, you can choose to do that. Now, it's not like that for multiple reasons. Um, When I came to Jesus as a young adult, I didn't come to Jesus because I thought, yeah, I like this, this is going to be the thing that I choose to do. Not in the first instance. I came to Jesus because the Father who had sent Him drew me to Jesus. It's, it's, it's deep, this. <laughs> it's only because God first worked in me by His Spirit through His Word when I hear the words of Jesus, that I hear them as truth, that I'm warmed, I'm softened to them, that I hear them as they truly are, the words of eternal life. And so, because God does this work in me, when God commands me to repent and put my faith in Jesus, I do, because God has first worked. And so, when you come to Jesus, it's all glory and praise be to Him, All the honour goes to God, there's no boasting here, because I, by myself, I was spiritually lifeless, unable to do any of that. Lifeless. Have a look at verse 53 again. Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Unless we feed on Jesus' flesh and blood, we are lifeless. My kids are watching um, Hotel Transylvania at the moment, those movies, which is Adam Sandler as a vampire, like a um, cartoon version. Jesus' words there are very vampire-y, aren't they? Unless you drink His blood, you've got no life in you. Now, what's He saying? Well, some people have thought this is about the Lord's Supper, which later on, Jesus, or later on, we're going to share together, and later on in John's Gospel, Jesus instituted. But this, I don't, this is not talking about the Lord's Supper. Rather, what the Lord's Supper is talking about is the same thing as this. They're both talking about the same thing, which is the death of Jesus on our behalf so that we might be reconciled to God and saved. But Jesus, He has to do that because we've got no life in us. And so, unless Jesus gives His life for us, we're without hope. But that's why He comes as the bread of life. He comes to give His life for us. Verse uh, 48, verse 48, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness and yet they died. But here is bread that comes down from heaven which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The answer to our spiritual lifelessness is Jesus giving up His life for us. And like a person who feeds on bread to live for another day, when we feed on Jesus, when we put our faith in Jesus, we will live eternally. Verse 54, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise them up at the last day. 
Friends, this is why the words of Jesus tonight are a challenge. If, because if they don't kill you, if they don't cause you to take utter offence at Him, they bring eternal life. These, these are the words of eternal life. This is God's solution to our deepest problem, the way for our hunger and thirst to be met forever. But don't you feel the offence? Because although, the, although these are the words of eternal life, You only get there by hearing the devastating diagnosis that we are worldly and lifeless and cut off from God and entirely at His mercy, needing to be drawn. And so, I'm I'm going to start moving toward finishing, but this, this is the moment of truth for us. As you hear these words of Jesus tonight, are you offended by Him? And so, wanting to run out the back? Or are you being drawn toward Him? Are you being warmed? Verse 60, On hearing it, many of His disciples said, this is a hard teaching, who can hear it? It's quite possible that you're sitting there thinking, this is too hard. I can't accept this. It's too pessimistic. Humanity's not that bad. Now, I know many of you are sitting there and thinking, these are the words of eternal life, (laughs) and we're going to get there. Um, But perhaps for some of you who don't follow Jesus, are thinking, surely this is too much, surely everything will just be okay. And maybe you're even thinking, I'm not spiritually lifeless, thank you very much. I'm quite in touch and in tune with spiritual things. I consider myself a spiritual person. Well, to risk offending you further, and I feel like this passage kind of gives me permission to do so, you're wrong. When it comes to spiritual things, Jesus is the man to listen to. He he backs himself up. He's the man who fed 5,000 in the wilderness. He's the man who walked on water. He's the man who came and at the power of his words could heal the blind and raise the dead. And he came speaking words of truth. Here is the, the man of integrity. The man who lays down his life for his enemies. This, this is the man to listen to. He's the one who's come as the bread of life himself and freely gave himself, gives his life so that we might feed on him and live eternally. Oh, friends, we need Jesus. We need Jesus to confront us in our worldliness, to to own the fact of our spiritual lifelessness, to show us our spiritual need. And we need Him to come as bread. We need Him to come as the bread who can feed us forever, who can satisfy our hunger and our thirst, who can raise us up at the last day. Because I'm not wrong, our reality is that we're all living on a timer. The bleak reality is the bleak truth. But Jesus comes offering us life eternal, dying in our place, rising again as the first fruits, saying again and again, I will raise them up at the last day. I will meet your need. Oh, we need Jesus. We need bread. We need the true bread. 
And many of us here, we know our need, we know that we need Jesus. Uh, And tonight, as you hear these words, you're drawn closer to Him, you're drawn into Him as the Word, as the, the bread of life itself, the one who speaks the words of eternity. And you hear them as that and you say, these are the words of eternal life. You hear Him say that whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. And you think, thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. That Jesus will never drive me away as I come to Him. It's His Father's will that whoever comes to Him will never be lost. Thank you, Father. You hear those words of eternity and of security and you think, He's my Saviour. He's the one I want to believe in. And when you do that, because of this passage tonight, you recognise that it's all the work of God. God is the one who's drawn you to Him. He's confronted you and, and met you where you're at and pushed you with the truth to bring you to where you need to be because whatever doesn't kill you, these words bring you eternal life, make you stronger in eternity. <laughs> and so He's drawn you to, to, to Him. God has been the one who's done that in you. And so hearing those words, you have to say, all glory be to God, He's the one who's done that in me. And He's promised that whoever comes to Him, He will never drive away, but raise them up at the last day. All glory be to God, yeah? Let's not look for our satisfaction in food that spoils, in bread that rots. Throw out your bread box, that thing. (laughs) Find your satisfaction, your fulfilment in Jesus who can satisfy our hunger and our thirst for eternity. Let's trust in Him all our days, hey? And all glory be to God because of that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, our bread, we praise You for who You are. We praise You that You came, sent from the Father, that You took on flesh in order to give up that flesh, to die in our place, that by dying, you might pay for our sin, our worldliness, our, our spiritual lifelessness, that you might take upon yourself God's righteous anger at what we've done, so that rising again, you might be the sovereign Lord of all the universe who can raise us up at the last day. We praise you for that. We thank you for that. We worship and adore you for that. And we pray that for, for all our days, we would feed upon you, we would look to you as our hope, both now and eternally. We thank you that soon we can celebrate communion and remember your death for us again. And we pray that for those here tonight who aren't yet trusting in Christ, in you, Jesus, we pray that the Father might be drawing them closer to you. Please work powerfully by these words, by your Spirit, draw people to yourself. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.